Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. If you live in one of the outlying parts of the Bay Area or down in San Jose, it can be easy to be cynical about downtown San Francisco. Why does that place get so much attention anyway? But almost any way that you cut it, a healthy Bay Area requires a healthy downtown San Francisco. In the before times, downtown produced nearly three quarters of the economic output of San Francisco, which itself is a substantial percentage of the region's economy. By design, our infrastructure uses downtown as the hub of the system. So what could an interesting, revitalized downtown San Francisco look like? And how can we get there? That's coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. There was a time, and man, it was not that long ago, when San Francisco had the hottest commercial real estate market, maybe in the world. Our traditional companies were still in downtown, and the emerging tech giants birthed in the 2010s were deciding to stick with the city rather than set up shop in Cupertino or wherever. Just listen back in on this breathless Bloomberg report from that pre-pandemic time, 2015. San Francisco knows a thing or two about boom towns. Some of the fastest growing companies in the world are all looking for office space here, taking commercial real estate to new heights. 2.1 million new square feet will hit the market this year alone, another 6 million expected by 2019. Uber, Dropbox, Airbnb, all looking to expand, spurred by a growing workforce and fueled by hundreds of millions in VC funding. But what goes boom often goes bust. And San Francisco's successful public health approach to the pandemic and the ease with which tech workers move their jobs online have combined to hollow out the city's downtown commercial properties. And because a city is really an ecosystem, a drastic change like that has had major effects on the small businesses of downtown and public safety and our public transit system and eventually the city budget. And the truth is, almost no matter what, it's probably going to get worse on some scores before it gets 
better. So let's get into it. The present and the future of downtown San Francisco. We've got a great panel joined by Ted Egan, chief economist with the San Francisco Controller's Office. Welcome, Ted. We've also got Colin Yasukochi, Executive Director of CBRE Tech Insight Center. Welcome, Colin. Hey, thank you. We've got Kevin Trunk, staff writer at the San Francisco Standard. Been thank co- you. Been covering downtown San Francisco really, really well. And we've got Karen Chapel, Professor Emerita of City and Regional Planning at UC Berkeley and Director of the School of Cities at the University of Toronto. Welcome, Karen. Good morning. Karen, why don't you set us up and kind of lay some of the foundation for our discussion here? I mean, downtown San Francisco was and is a job center for our area. Can you give us a sense of kind of the scale and importance of downtown? This for me? Yes, Karen, for you. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, Downtown's employment centers um, had been coming back uh, across the United States, across North America. Um, we'd seen kind of resurgence of the urban cores um, pre-pandemic. Um, it was an exciting time. It was largely driven by the economies, by tech, but also uh, arts and culture, entertainment, sports, other types of government-led initiatives to bring downtowns back. We talked about uh, bringing people back to the city. Um, it all looked great, right, until the uh, until the pandemic. Um, and suddenly we realized how vulnerable some of our downtowns actually were, that perhaps um, they were not resilient in the face of a pandemic. And this has been largely due to the structure of uh, the economies in certain uh, certain downtowns um, that failed to diversify early on. Yeah. And you and other you know scholars have been kind of tracking how different cities have fared in this um, in this recovery. Where does San Francisco rank among, you know, the, the downtown cores out there? Well, I hate to tell you this, um, but San Francisco is consistently dead last. So on our website, downtownrecovery.com, we track 62 North American downtowns uh, using cell phone trajectory data to measure activity from, from residents, from visitors, and from office workers. So all activity, all stops uh, downtown. And what we find um, is that there's really four types of cities. There's the ones that bounce back. That's the San Diego's of the world mm-hmm. doing great. Um, there are the ones uh, that are kind of stuck but coming back slowly. Um, that's uh, uh, Seattle, maybe some um, Boston, maybe um, uh, um, some of the some of the um, southwestern metros. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have um, then we have the ones that are really flatlining. That's San Francisco and Cleveland. Now, Cleveland (laughs) is subject to long-term economic restructuring, issues that were in play way before the pandemic. Um, But... But San Francisco is is flatlining uh, really since the pandemic um, and and due to very recent changes in the nature of the economy. Yeah, fascinating. Just kind of opposite kinds of cities there. Kevin Trong, um, how did the pandemic really end up disrupting the basic functioning of, of San Francisco downtown? So for in the pre-pandemic era, the downtown core was essentially the city's economic engines, job center. So you had everybody flowing in to downtown. The population would double. Folks were taking uh, public transit into the 
um, into the downtown core. And that sort of ran a lot of what happened uh, in the city budget and the small businesses that relied on that foot traffic. And, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of that stopped. And quite frankly, it hasn't come back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at BART, which is a uh, obviously a major commute line. Um, it has one of the lowest recoveries of any mass transit system in the country, and partly because it tracks so much with that downtown commute. So we're left in a situation where the open question is, what is next? Because, uh, you know, although a lot of people are holding out hope for recovery back to the pre-pandemic era, um, a lot of signals show that um, the new normal has been reached or it has sort of plateaued in some way. Um, if you look at the numbers from Castle, the entry card uh, data, um, it hasn't gone over 47%, which was in, in November. Um, a couple of weeks ago, it went to 46%. So uh, <laughs> I think we can say that it's probably uh, around that for the foreseeable future. Um, and a lot of the small businesses, like I said, that relied on that lifeblood um, have shut down. So downtown feels, for a lot of people, a lot less vibrant and a lot less useful. And I guess the question is, what's next? Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. I mean, what's your new normal? I mean, if you had the kind of job where you commuted into your office downtown, I mean, do you miss it? Do you plan on going in more often? Or have you settled in uh, where, you, where you are not going in very often? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram or KQED Forum. Yeah, the BART numbers are also so fascinating because they're not even trending upwards. They're just kind of totally plateaued, but at really low uh, levels. Um, Colin Yasukochi, help us dive into the office market specifically. Um, Before the pandemic, San Francisco's office market couldn't have been hotter. Building, buildings, you know, buildings changing hands uh, and the prices doubling over a course of a couple of years. Um, I assume... That has all ended <laughs> and that the prices are going in the reverse direction. Yeah, we went from basically first in terms of the hottest office market pre-pandemic and now we're the worst where our vacancy rate was like about 4% before the pandemic. We're 28% today. That's the highest it's ever been in the city of San Francisco. And um, what's happened is that because of working from home, Many companies have decided that they do not need quite as much office space as they once had. And so they've reduced that amount quite substantially. And, you know, it's the interesting part of of what's been going on is that you would think with this massive rise in amount of supply and a very low level of demand that prices would come down pretty Mm -hmm. substantially. And that hasn't really been the case. So we've seen, you know, office rents go down maybe 10 or 15 percent. But they really haven't come down like they did in the past. Like after the financial crisis, it was 30% less. After the dot-com bust, it was about 70% less. Part of the issue is that property values got so high, property owners paid so much for them, they can't really afford to offer these cheap rents, although the market would tell you that it should. And as I think Kevin had mentioned earlier, just the fact that you know, less than half of the office workers are coming to downtown. Mm -hmm. It just feels very different when you're down there. I mean, I think we used to have around uh, 350,000 office workers come into downtown, you know, every day. And, you know, that number is at least half that amount. Mm -hmm. So I I think it's like 150 or 175,000 people less per day. And that that has a really big 
economic impact and and psychological. You feel very, it. very <laughs> psychological impact. And then you know, for those who do come back to the office, and even if it is part of the time, it's a little discouraging when you come back and your colleagues aren't there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ted Egan, obviously you've been keeping an eye on these trends at the city. I mean, if the assessed value of buildings goes down, then property taxes for the city um, go down. But is that actually going to be a problem for San Francisco, you think? Are the assessed values going to drop? Well, as Colin said, um, what we're seeing in the office market right now is sort of a disconnect between supply and demand. And the same way that we're not seeing tenants and building owners agree on rents. We're not seeing buyers and sellers of office buildings agree on prices. Mm. And so there's a lot of uncertainty about what office buildings are really worth. Um, For assessed values to fall and for the city's uh, property tax to be at risk, we would need to see sort of price points that say, actually, these office buildings are, are worth less than they're assessed at. And then that could be the basis for for reassessment or successful appeals. We're actually forecasting that to happen because we're assuming that work from home persists and and we're assuming a significant amount of risk going forward this decade in the city's property tax base because we think work from home will drive down property values and property tax. But we haven't seen it yet. And that would also assume that their assessed valuations had sort of gone up the curve with the sale prices, right? Had they actually done that, or are there kind of limits to how much those assessments can go up? You know, under Prop 13, there's a limit uh, that an, a property can only go up 10, uh, 2% a year in its assessment unless it's sold. So what you really have in downtown is a collection of properties whose risk depends on how long ago they were sold, and you really have to go building by building to sort of gauge the risk for the city as a whole. Huh. We are talking about what's happening in downtown San Francisco, specifically the office market decline and what it might mean for the city and the region's economy. We're joined by Ted Egan, chief economist with the San Francisco Controller's Office. Karen Chappell, professor emerita of city and regional planning at UC Berkeley and director of the School of Cities at the University of Toronto. Kevin Trong, staff writer at the San Francisco Standard. And Colin Yasukochi, executive director of CBRE Tech Insight Center. Having a little trouble with the phones, but hopefully we'll be able to get some people on soon. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is, of course, the song When the Lights Go Down in the City. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking about what the office market decline in downtown San Francisco really means for the city and the region's economy. Joined by Colin Yasukochi, executive director of CBRE Tech Insight Center. Kevin Trong, a staff writer at the San Francisco Standard, covering downtown San Francisco and its transformation. Karen Chappell, who is director of the School of Cities at the University of Toronto. And Ted Egan, chief economist with the San Francisco Controller's Office. Um, Kevin, we have a just kind of a very simple but quite interesting question, actually, from a listener who wants to know, can you please define San Francisco's downtown? So I actually did this little experiment uh, a few weeks ago, asked a bunch of people just how they defined downtown. And um, some people said the financial district. Some people said the sort of north uh, east part of the city. Uh, how the city sort of thinks about it is what they call the downtown economic core. So that includes the financial district, Soma, down into Mission Bay, essentially where uh, office commuters used to uh, uh, come to the city. Um, and I think each of those it, each of those definitions, I guess, necessitates a different sort of solution. If you think about, um, you know, the financial district, which ironically the business group there changed their name from the FIDI uh, CBD to the Downtown SF Partnership. So they're trying to rebrand as well. Um, you know, I, I think part of what the city is trying to do is sort of think about the, the areas in which they could sort of make the most impact in, in helping to change policies and bring folks back in into uh, the offices or attract different sorts of industries. Um, but I think it's an open question. And and. The, the fact that we all don't have a um, sort of defined definition maybe could go into part of the problem and why we don't have a defined solution or at least a, a central vision. Yeah. You know, Karen, one of the interesting things that many listeners, perhaps even those listening right now sitting in traffic, would like to know is that rush hour traffic has been described as getting back to like something like 95% of pre-pandemic volume, as a listener says. Where are all these people going if they're not going to all those empty offices and shops? Well, it, it, what's going on is is basically induced demand. And so we have fewer people driving to work, so there's more space on the freeway. So people are more inclined to drive when they're doing um, their errands or their um, entertainment act- activities. Um, so those roads just fill up. We know we've seen this in the Bay Area um, for, for decades, that as soon as there is a slowdown, um, other traffic will fill up the roads. And then, of course, um, reluctance to ride on transit is part of the picture. Mm. Hmm. Let's um let's bring in our first caller here. Let's bring in uh Jeremy. Uh welcome. Hey Jeremy, yes, can, you hi, hear me? can you hear me? Oh yeah, go ahead. Yes. Hi. I just uh really excited to be uh, a first time caller getting uh getting on the air. I just thought information about uh what it's like as a small business owner with a heavily dependent industry on uh, downtown office space. I'm the owner of a uh, AV integration business, so uh, we typically would do conference rooms, uh. boardrooms, and uh, audio installations for businesses. And with remote work kind of becoming the new norm, we 
effectively sort of had to lay everybody off and go to uh, skeleton staff. Mm. So I know there's a lot of talk about uh, basically restaurants uh, that are affected and what have you, but there's a whole industry of supportive uh, businesses such as uh, AV uh, and building maintenance and other related industries that have all sort of been decimated waiting for the return. And uh, curious if anyone has any idea if this is, in fact, uh, a dead industry going forward. Jeremy, um, I'm really sorry to hear about your business and best to you uh, employees who um, lost their jobs as well. Um, Ted Egan, let's let's go to you on this. I mean, can you describe the sort of uh, that ecosystem that does support, you know, downtown offices? And I think, you know, Jeremy's other question is like, you know, is this ever coming back? Yeah, I mean, the office industries, um, financial services, tech in particular, professional services, they generated about, and they still do, about 80% of the city's GDP. They're a massive, massive force in the city. And they they touch basically every other activity that happens in San Francisco. And I think Jeremy's absolutely right that it's not just restaurants. On the building support side, there's construction work, there's folks doing maintenance, AV integration, IT integration, uh, there's, uh, you know, janitorial services. All of that um, gets hit when the, when the, the buildings are vacant, mm-hmm. when there's less demand for office space. Is it going to be permanent? I actually don't think so. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, three, two or three years ago, you could have a debate about are we seeing the end of the office? Are we seeing the end of cities? And that's really not what people are doing. They're basically cutting their office time in half. Mm-hmm. And there's about 50% or so reduction in office demand. And we've talked about how the office market is is struggling with that. I don't think it's going to struggle with it forever. I think that the market is going to work. And it may take a long time. And, you know, you really feel for small businesses who may not be able to make it to that point. Uh, but I do think um, that the the offices will eventually be refilled. Um, and I actually think work from home, which is the factor that's driving this, probably in the long run is a good thing for the growth of the Bay Area economy because we had so many infrastructure constraints before the pandemic that that work from home kind of ameliorates. I mean, I think the thing that's strange is if it if it is a big structural adjustment in the U.S. economy, why is it so hardcore in San Francisco? And yet you even go to Oakland or San Jose or you know uh, many other cities uh, on the on the east coast and you see that they are back in the office but we're not here i mean is that like a cultural thing you know from the castle data that kevin alluded to um the city that's most back to the office, which is Austin, Texas, is only about 65% back. So it, it may feel more full, but a lot of what you're seeing in the liveliness of, of other downtowns, as Karen alluded to, is people who aren't office workers. Mm-hmm. And downtown San Francisco, for a lot of historical reasons, the office popula- the daytime population had a lot of office workers. And when they stay home, there really isn't anyone else coming to downtown for other reasons. Huh. Um, let's go to another call here. Uh, Lindsay in San Rafael, welcome. Hi. <clears throat> go ahead. Can you hear me? Okay, yes. Yeah, so this is for Professor Karen. Um, <clears throat> I think that the biggest incongruence for me has been the empty office spaces and all the people on the streets in need of housing. Um, I'm sure this is an oversimplification, but... 
can't we find a way to kind of solve both crises at once? I mean, it does feel like the this is a, a solution that occurs to people. We have done a show on this, on conversions and some of the, the difficulties. Um, but Karen, why don't you um, walk us through maybe w- where the opportunity is and, and what the challenges are? Yeah, well, I think this has been covered in, uh, also by uh, The Chronicle and some other um, publications, New York Times. The challenges of converting office buildings to residential are, are really monumental, just in terms of how the HVAC is set up, how the plumbing set up, um, the types of amenities you need, the way places are subdivided, the ceiling heights. Uh, there are just many physical challenges. And so, it yes, we can do it. It's just, it's going to be super expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably cheaper to demolish some of these older Class C buildings um, and start fresh and, and build housing. Um, and, and just, you know, San Francisco is sort of uh, in a worse position here than many of the other cities cities across the country because it didn't um, open up the financial district uh, to housing. You know, it 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 supported office buildings. It, it used zoning um, to prohibit mixing of uses. And that's made it uh, really challenging to to reconceptualize downtown and the financial district as a mixed use 24 seven community. Yeah. You know, Colin, have you seen many conversions, I mean, here or anywhere else? I mean, there's a there's a couple, like there's one over on Van Ness, I think, but mm-hmm. but it's there are a lot of challenges on the business side of this, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, after the financial crisis and even after the dot-com bust, there there were definitely buildings that were converted to residential use, but it's typically some characteristics of those buildings. Older buildings tend to be much better to convert mm-hmm. To uh, residential, but I think you know part of the underlying problems are cost related, and it's not so much the cost of construction of converting them. But I think one thing that Ted alluded to earlier, as it related to property tax assessments, is that the value of these properties needs to drop substantially, almost to where it's simply being sold for the land price. Then a conversion kind of makes sense. But right now, those property values are stubbornly high making it very difficult to convert regardless of the physical constraints. You know, I've just been thinking about assets because of Silicon Valley Bank, thinking about assets on books that are actually like way overpriced is part of the reason why people don't want to lower like their official values on the books is essentially they have taken a huge loss on these buildings and they don't want to actually you know, change the number in the spreadsheet. Yeah, I, that is that is a big problem because if you purchase a building at say a thousand dollars a square foot, then for you to start renting it at what true market might be is is basically admitting that your building is probably worth half of what it is, and then every tenant that you still have in the building is going to want that rent when their lease kind of comes up, and so you're essentially throwing in the towel once you start to do that, and that's why there's been so much resistance to do it. I mean, vacant space generates zero income, but leasing out at a lower price is just stuck. It, it yeah. really starts your your downward spiral. Yeah. So interesting. Um, let's take another call. Um, Sparrow in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for this topic. Um, I just had a reflection and a comment. Um, I live in South Beach. I've lived there for about 10 years. And what I've really noticed in the last three years is like this I feel like when I walk around in the morning with my dog that it's a ghost town mm. and I just really find it hard to believe that we could bounce back from this. And I just 
that was just my reflection. It just feels kind of sad, and I just wonder if the heartbeat is going to come back. Yeah. Sparrow, have you noticed any changes, like just, you know, say in the last three months? I feel like the last three months have been different from yeah. the three months before that, but maybe not. I would say so, yeah. I would say that I, when I'm walking out, there seems to be more people, which is, is, is feels promising. And I also, I also have noticed a few new restaurants pop up where there's been a lot of empty space. What I'd like to see is... I, um, I think it's on Washington that Embarcadero Mall is completely, um, everything looks closed. It would be really nice to see stuff actually open up and offer some services, bring more people in. I mean, it doesn't just have to be office workers. It can also be like local people who live downtown, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Hey, thanks so much, Sparrow, for that reflection. I think that reflects Thank the experience you. of a lot of people um, in our city. I, yeah, Kevin, I wanted to come to you on this because one of the things that I've been fascinated by is the way that kind of big business groups are saying we should transform downtown into a more mixed use place. Like that for me is like fascinating and not exactly what I expect from them. Like, why is that happening? Like, why is it that, you know, Sparrow's interest in a, you know, more lively, you know, 24 hour kind of city would dovetail with the interests of, you know, our big employers and the big business associations? Well, I think it's almost a recognition on on both sides of saying the old downtown might be dead. We need to long live the new downtown. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, part of it is the market pressures that have sort of kept things um, stable, even in opposition to what people are seeing on the ground. Like like Colin said, um, you know, people are a bit building owners are a bit loath to kind of admit and, and realize the losses, I guess, to use like the Silicon Valley term. Um And, you know, but we're starting to see some of that stuff change. So a few months ago, you had some building owners put buildings on the market and not really get the the prices that they want in terms of bids. Now that you're seeing them put it back on the market, often at half that price, because they realize that um, the market has changed and they need to... Um, sell it at at a, at a lower price um, if if they're trying to to move the asset off their books. Um, but I think the reason why we're sort of seeing this almost coalition across big business and also um, in the grassroots is because we recognize, I think, that maybe this is a turning point for downtown into this place of more mixed use, into a place of more uh, neighborhood serving retail. Um, and the fact is, a lot of that didn't exist because we didn't really have a population to support that. Um, outside of the the working hours. So I think it's it's uh, people coming together and being like, well, whatever this thing was for the last 30, 40 years may be over. So let's try to figure out what's next. Yeah. You know, Karen, um, the other thing that Sparrow's comment made me wonder is whether there are known kind of thresholds or tipping points that you've seen across the nation for other cities where you know, we you start to uh, spiral upwards or downwards or whether it's not quite linear as we might want it to be. Have you been able to see any of those things? And are we close to one of those tipping points where suddenly, OK, if you get to 50 percent uh, traffic in a city, uh, you know, just foot traffic in a city, then it starts to pick up or anything like that? Yeah, I I, I think it's hard to at this point to envision a rapid bounce back. Um, so, you know, so San Francisco was at 30% on March 16th, 2020, and it's March 16th, 2023, and it's just over 30%. So, um, so it hasn't, it hasn't budged. And yet, um, 
the cities, uh, if you take a Fort Worth or San Antonio or Austin or, or uh, you know, um, Phoenix, you'll see that they they did come back in 2021 quite a bit. That was the big surge back. Um, so we haven't seen any any kind of rapid progress. We're seeing 10, 15 percent per year at this point uh, uh, for a comeback. Um so, uh, so I, we're not we're not reaching those tipping points. Um, but that said, it, it's very slow to transform an entire da- downtown. I mean, you're talking about moving uh, San Francisco to mixed use. Just imagine uh, what that what that would take. Um, what you know? How can we get downtown San Francisco to look like downtown Barcelona? Um, that's a thirty year project. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, well, let's get to some of these comments that have come in. Um, Steve writes in to say, major metropolitan cities like San Francisco must redefine themselves from employer-oriented to destination-oriented to sustain economic success. Central SF for domestic, international, and Bay Area local tourism. Top level, this means housing the homeless and reducing petty theft crime. Invest in entertainment, hire storytellers and creatives to make immersive and must-see events. And lean more on San Francisco's reputation of forward-leaning tech. If the tech employers are absent, their products of current and future innovation should be on display and provide hands-on experiences. You know, Kevin, that is something that the downtown association, at least, is is kind of trying to do, right? Yeah, they're trying to uh, reactivate spaces in terms of pop-ups and things like that. But they're also trying to... Um, figure out who are the new industries. If, for example, SaaS companies, software companies are the ones who aren't going to be using offices, what are the new industries that are? So you have things like biotech. You can't really have a wet lab in your you know, living room, for example. Mm-hmm. You have things like advanced manufacturing. Um, you know, obviously the, the generative AI hype bubble, which is uh, really centered in, in San Francisco. Um, but I don't know if there has been a concerted effort to try to like figure out how to actually attract some of those folks in uh, in a strategic way, and, and and some of the difficulties are the same difficulties with converting um, office spaces to residential. A lot of these types of industries require. Um, if you have a lab, you can't really necessarily build that in a big office tower, right? You need like a, a warehouse, you need high clearances. Um, so there's a lot of the same difficulties in transforming um, office work to other industries uh, exist in, 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 in uh, that way as well. Um, but there is opportunity there. And if you look at, um, for example, life sciences space in the city, it's, it's seeing a, a lower vacancy than office uh, space as a whole. We're talking about what the empty offices of San Francisco mean for the city and the region's economy. Joined by Kevin Trong, staff writer at the San Francisco Standard. Colin Yasukochi, executive director of CBRE Tech Insight Center. Karen Chappell, uh, director of the School of Cities at the University of Toronto. And Ted Egan, chief economist with San Francisco's Controller's Office. We are taking your calls to How would you revive downtown? What are you thinking? Numbers 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email's forum at kqed.org and Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about what the empty offices of San Francisco mean for the city and the region's economy. Joined by Ted Egan, chief economist with San Francisco's Controller's Office. Karen Chappell, director of the School of Cities at the University of Toronto. Kevin Trong, staff writer at the San Francisco Standard. And at Colin Yasukochi, executive director of CBRE Tech Insight Center. Let's go back to the phones. Um, Stacy in San Francisco, welcome. Hi, thank you. Um, I have a question about the cost of doing business in San Francisco related to the special taxes that are levied on office tenants. Um, As office um, tenants decide to come back or not to San Francisco or renew leases, you know, there's, for instance, a commercial rent tax. It's three and a half percent tax on their gross profits that's passed through to tenants um, for large part. So my question is, how is the city of San Francisco going to address the very high costs of doing business in San Francisco? And um, I'll take my answer off the air. Thanks. Sure. Stacy. thank you for that. You know, Ted, I think there's um, this question about the tax revenue that comes, right? And uh, are we able to actually get more tax revenue by cutting taxes? Or like, how, how might this work out? Yeah, I see you shaking your head. No, you never get more tax revenue by cutting taxes, although you do maybe have economic benefits. I mean, I think, you know, people need to keep taxes in a little bit of perspective. Um, San Francisco's had the highest business taxes of virtually any city in the country forever. And in the 2010s, we were, you know, along with Austin, you know, the first or second fastest growing city. So it's not that taxes have always, um, you know, curtailed growth so much that, that we haven't been able to grow. I do think, though, in a world of remote work, we're, we're clearly seeing businesses uh, able to do business fine with less of a physical presence in San Francisco. And we've seen a loss in business tax because of that. And it, it may well be true that businesses are more sensitive to tax increases because of that. So the city's in a difficult situation. On the one hand, we're seeing pressure in property tax, but also in business tax, sales tax. A lot of taxes aren't recovering um, but if the solution is just, well, just raise the taxes on the ones that left, you, you don't want to get in a situation where you provoke, uh, you know, uh, erosion of your tax base. Um, so we've been asked in our office to work on a, a reform of the city's business tax system, possibly for next year's ballot, uh, that I think is going to focus on kind of maybe rationalizing the business tax um, uh, to make sort of the most painful parts of it neutralized and get us out of a situation where we can't raise revenues without scaring people out of town. So it seems like when I listen to you talk and I think about the situation downtown, it feels like we could end up in some even worse spiral, um, particularly if we have tax revenue declining, services decline, presumably, under that kind of scenario, and then less people want to come back. What if we actually don't make 
this work, right? Maybe what if we don't transform downtown and we just end up with a, a city budget with a big hole blown in it? Um, <clears throat> I think that that's a risk. Um, you know, there are there are a number of risks that the city's economy could just go off the rails. Taxes is one of them. Uh, transit, which we haven't talked too much about, transit's fiscal cliff. Uh, you can't get to downtown being refilled without BART. And BART can't run forever at 28% of normal. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, I think, been fortunate in the last three years that the talent pool in the Bay Area hasn't all moved away, contrary to what some news reports suggested, that most people have, virtually everyone is, has stayed within the Bay Area. But that could change too. So the, I don't think any of those risks are particularly high, but we have a number of risks, number of ways things could go off the rail. And and honestly, I I think it may be wiser to focus on not doing things, avoiding the worst, rather than sort of affirmatively transforming things with a positive vision. Mm-hmm. I think we need to let things play out in the office market and make sure things don't go off the rails. Because mm-hmm. you're right, there's a number of ways they could. Yeah, let's bring in Deborah in Walnut Creek. Welcome, Deborah. Oh, hi. Thank you for having me. Um, I was just going to respond to the question you asked earlier, which was, how do you feel about the commute and yeah. coming downtown? And um, I came in from Marin from over like 25 years on the bus, and I just moved to Walnut Creek. So now I'm on BART. And I think other than feeling like you're getting on a big cesspool with BART, and I'm fully vaccinated, wear a mask, I got COVID, I got over it, so I'm even more immune it's just not, it's not a comfortable feeling getting on BART and it's mm. not safe, you know, unless you stick to the commute times. So there's that piece of it. But I work in a, a very sort of untraditional work from home environment at a law firm where they want everybody in their desk every day. And during COVID, our boss was thrilled at our, our per, you know, productivity and how responsive everybody was. And you guys are doing great. And, you know, I'm sure that was to keep morale up. But, you know, we were able to do our jobs and we were able to do it remotely. So I think maybe if you're of a younger generation, you know, you miss the camaraderie in the office because I know I always enjoyed that for many years. But I, I don't miss the commute, you know, um, two to three hours a day, depending. I mean, if it's not issues with weather on BART, you know, there's traffic on the buses or whatever it is. But I and, and the thing is, when I'm there, particularly in my situation, my boss is so busy, he doesn't talk to me anyhow. So <laughs> what do I need to be there for? I mean, the receptionist can get you lunch. Otherwise, I'm available, and I, and I always have been. And yeah. that's always been sort of the, my, my role, the dynamic of my role, that I'm always reachable and available. So I really don't need to be there. But, you know, I get how much he's paying for rent, and he wants people in their seats. But yeah, I don't know. I, you know, and then the industries, you know, there's so many, like I was in tech for a long time, commercial real estate, venture capital, private equity. I'm an executive assistant. So I can kind of work anywhere. Everything feels a little unstable. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much, uh, Deborah, for that, for that perspective. I mean, reflective, I think, of the experience of, you know, kind of the entire U.S. economy that it turned out we could do many more jobs uh, from home than, than we thought. Um, Karen Chappell, I wanted to ask you out of that, is there something about the Bay Area's kind of regional construction that has made our downtown kind of, that, that has put us in this kind of uniquely precarious position, whether it is 
the commute, the affordability, which has pushed so many people further and further outside the city, which makes them want to commute even less in. Like when you look at San Francisco against other cities, how do you what do you see there that that is different? Well, the commute is absolutely uh, one of the top three factors, and we've done we've identified this in our regression models um, that long commute times um, much more likely that workers uh, decide to spend the day working at home, um, and and this goes you know particularly for cold economies and Minneapolis suffers from the same thing. But um, that but but this is what's really hurting hurting San Francisco, and then I think. Um, I think, though, I mean, Ted touched on this earlier, that work from home can actually be a good thing for um, the Bay Area economy because of a, you know, labor shortage, labor challenges with housing affordability. Well, now you can uh, live in Truckee um, or you can live, uh, you know, in the North Bay or, or wherever um, and come in once a week. Um, and so um, and so you're actually solving some of the uh, labor recruitment problems that we've uh, that have been plagued tech businesses over the last few years. Um, so, uh, so this this could actually end up um, uh, being being a savior for the um, for the um, hmm. you know uh, San Francisco uh, labor market. Ted, oh, I just wanted to add on to that. You know, one of the things we can't forget is that, and you were talked about what's special about downtown San Francisco in the context of the Bay Area. If you're a business in downtown San Francisco, you really can get people who live anywhere in the Bay Area to your place of employment, thanks to uh, you know the generations of investment we've made in transit serving downtown. And that can be a major, major advantage given the the breadth of the talent pool in the Bay Area, and no other real place could match it. Maybe, uh, you know, the Palo Alto area would be the only other one I could think of in terms of the capacity to mobilize talent. And I don't think that's going to go away. I think that that's real. I think our talent uh, pool has not moved away. And so that's why, again, I'm optimistic for the city in the long run. It's very cloudy in the short run. (laughs) Uh, Let's bring in Tony in Larkspur. Welcome, Tony. Hi, uh, hi everybody. Hey, Colin, it's Tony, and I used to work with Colin. <laughs> I have a, a couple questions. Uh, the first one is, right now, there's a tremendous amount of sublease space on the market. Uh, there's kind of like, it's divided. There's like Facebook's entire building at 181 Fremont, which consists of full floors, and then you've got Salesforce, and there's a lot of long-term, uh, long-term available on that, on that space. And then you've got some short-term subleases that are, let's say, a year to three years, but those spaces aren't being leased, and they're rolling back into becoming direct space uh, available by la- to, by the landlords directly. Mm. And I'm kind of curious to see if uh, Colin and the panel, what what do they think will happen to those spaces? Do they because the tendency was right pre-COVID was that landlords were taking these. Uh, traditional office buildings like 44 Montgomery and 100 Montgomery and basically scraping the entire floor, demolishing it, and then building these spec suites that were just really designed for tech companies. Hmm. And now that there's so much of that available, you wonder where the traditional tenant might go, the law firms, the accounting firms, because there's not that many spaces available that are really subdivided and smaller than full floors, and then how that will affect rental rates as well. 
So interesting. You know, Tony, thank you for uh, bringing us this the kind of level deeper into this this office space, because I think it is one of the kind of another mismatch among mismatches for maybe what what our actual businesses need. Colin? Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I would just say, Tony, thank, thanks for the question that, um, you know, tenants and, and businesses that need office space have so many choices today. And I think that that's actually a positive thing. And if you're looking for lower cost space, then sublease space is a really good option. Oftentimes that's built out that you can sort of move right into it. You don't have additional capital costs involved there. I think that the the opportunity to draw people back to downtown is really there because there is this type of space that is available. And there's also a huge opportunity that many of the offices, not only the ones that are on the market and vacant, but where you know tenants are using them, um, need a lot of work to be able to adapt to this you know work from home hybrid type mm-hmm. of environment. And like you know, less we, cubicles and more meeting spaces. Yeah, more. And you know, we had the uh, caller earlier. I think it was Jeremy who talked about his audiovisual business. Um, that is actually something that is quite needed right now. But you know, given the economic concerns, many businesses aren't necessarily in the mood to to spend a lot of money. But I think there's a lot of opportunity to getting people downtown. And I like one other point to to mention too is that you know we talk about the broad numbers of return to the office and that being you know in the high 40s or so. But when you look at a day to day basis, you know Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday tend to be higher days, and there's a pretty wide delta of you know, maybe 20-something percent on a Friday and mm. 55, 60 percent on a Tuesday or so. And, you know, other, other markets like Austin, they have an even bigger delta where, yeah, no one comes in on Friday, but they're at 80 <laughs> percent on a Thursday right, or something. Right, right. So it's, it's interesting. Well, and Kevin, I mean, that has got to just be disastrous for small businesses in downtown San Francisco. And like, how can you run a restaurant if you've got those deltas between Tuesday and Friday? Yeah. And when I talk to a lot of uh, small businesses and entrepreneurs, restaurant owners or whatever, um, you know, they say that, yes, they definitely do see a drop off on on, you know, the Monday and Friday, but they also don't have any stability. It's not like Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, all weeks are are stable. You know, sometimes like I, I talk to one person where it's like, one day we're doing really well, and the next day nobody shows up, and we have no idea why. Um, and it's just really difficult to run a business, particularly one that is sort of um, reliant on that kind of throughput of people with that uncertainty. So I don't know if there's anything that could be done up from a policy side, but having a little bit more stability and even more more structure on, okay, maybe Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays are the days that we're going to come in. And what does that actually look like? I know like companies like Salesforce and Facebook have started to mandate that. Um Having that little bit of stability really is really important for helping uh, businesses make that yeah. bottom line. I'm um, just going to run through uh, a few comments here. One listener writes, as a teenager growing up in the city in the late 90s, early 2000s, I remember downtown being a place full of art, music, and culture, a place people of all stripes sought out for its diversity and opportunity outside the fold. It seems important to reincorporate this legacy as a means of accessibility in order to revitalize and make downtown desirable again. Laura, with another idea, I'm curious about the short and long-term possibilities around developing downtown into a world-class destination medical hub like the Mayo Clinic campus. Perhaps have some medical school presence there as well and housing for professors, students, medical staff. And another listener writes, the city has changed many times in the last 100 years. San Francisco was a financial city, then dot-com, then tech, but tourism always sustained the economy 
in transitional times. Got to clean up the city's core so businesses can thrive. Um, Kevin, where are, are you seeing traction on you know any major plans to try to do something different with downtown? I mean, is there even an entity that could do such a thing? Yeah, I guess that's that's a, the question. You know, the city has been convening these working groups for the last few years, I guess, uh, trying to get uh, a lot of people from across different stakeholders, business communities, um, you know, nonprofits on board. It's, I think personally, I think it's difficult to kind of create consensus when you have uh, so many people just sort of putting in and brainstorming ideas. But the mayor recently put out a downtown recovery plan that had a bunch of different things, including trying to recover uh, businesses, trying to attract new businesses, talking a little bit about um, office to residential conversion, a little bit what Ted said in some of the broader tax reform efforts. Um, you know, I, I've heard it described as we may not need a silver bullet and we need silver buckshot. Um, uh, Wade Rose at Advance SF said that we need a kind of a lot of solutions. Um, but one of the things that I think is a, a bit missing is some sort of radical imagination, just so, sort of ideas that um, may be a little bit off the fold. So one of the uh, commenters you read is bringing... Um, you know, artists and culture back to downtown. One of the most fun ideas is why don't we take some of this office space and turn it into band rehearsal space? <laughs> because it's empty. You're not going to annoy the neighbors. And why not? It's it's a good place to have a music video, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Gary writes in to say, I'm sorry to say that San Francisco is now suffering from greed by developers and the city adding taxes on these buildings. In the 50s, 60s, and 70s, downtown was much more integrated with residential and business. That was dismantled. Now we're paying the piper for these mistakes. Most other eastern and midwest cities did not tear everything down, putting up expensive office buildings and expensive condos. Um, Karen Chapel, last word is probably going to go to you. Do you think that's a fair comment by Gary? Well, I, we did. Uh, we, we we were short-sighted uh, in in San Francisco, but uh, you know that said, um, we we had huge office demand. We added a huge amount of office space. It was very impressive. It gave a whole boom um, to the city. And what we just didn't do is is add all the other stuff: the residential, the arts and culture, the tourism, the meds hub, etc. Um, so so that just needs to be added back in. Yeah. Uh, one last uh, comment reflective of a bunch we've gotten. If workers aren't coming back, we're going to need recreational visitors and tourists to save downtown. However, as an avid theater goer who attended two shows in downtown San Francisco coming in from the East Bay in the last month, I have to tell you that the conditions downtown are a real hindrance. We brought guests from out of state, including two kids, and our visitors were genuinely shocked at the open drug use and really frightening behavior. Definitely something we hear a lot. Uh, we have been talking about what the empty offices in San Francisco mean for our city, the city's uh, economy, the region's economy. We've been joined by Kevin Trunk, staff writer at the San Francisco Standard, Colin Yasukochi, executive director at CBRE Tech Insight Center, Karen Chappell, director of the School of Cities at the University of Toronto, and Professor Emerita of City and Regional Planning at the University of California, Berkeley, and Ted Egan, chief economist with the san francisco controller's office thank you so much to all of you for all of your comments and insight and to all of our listeners and callers for your thoughts you've been listening to forum i'm alexis madrigal stay tuned for another hour ahead with mina kim Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, 
the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.